Quick note to the listener. Last week's sermon was incorrectly posted with the same audio from the week before. So if you have not heard the first part of turning from covetousness to contentment, which is the first part of Pastor Roy's sermon on Psalm 73, please go back and listen to that as the audio has been fixed. Enjoy. For this morning, as you guys know, we're studying learning contentment in a covetous world. So learning about uh, coveting and learning about contentment. Uh, we've been in it for, for a few Sundays now. Uh, I know some of you were out last Sunday. Uh, so as a review, how, without looking at your notes, okay, with your own words, okay, with your own words, right? And, and you should know the answer to this because you, we do this probably every day, right? So what is your definition of covetousness? Yes, I say. To want something that you don't have. Great. Any any anything else? Yes, Ryan. Good. Yeah. To want something that you don't have that you lose contentment in God. Yeah. Yeah. You try to seek it in the wrong way. Yep. It could be something that's wrong, or it could be something that's good, but you seek it in the wrong way, wrong motivation, wrong. Wrong attitude, all those things that we talked about. So that, I, I hope that, you know, er, you probably noticed that every Sunday I ask you that, right? So I, I want you guys to start thinking about, okay, what is covetousness? What does the Bible say covetousness is? And then hopefully next Sunday or maybe two Sundays from today, we'll, st- we'll talk about contentment. And I'm going to start asking you what covetousness is and contentment. So you have double uh, to think about um, then. So... Covetousness is to, to, really, to, to have a strong desire uh, of something that God has not given you and, and you lose contentment in Him because you don't have it. So that's coveting. Now, last Sunday we started Psalm 73 and we're back in it this morning. So open your Bibles there to Psalm chapter 73. If you, if you need one, we have extra Bibles in the back. Psalm chapter 73. And... Um, I told you guys last Sunday that we're looking at it in three parts, right? Three steps in, again, we're trying to turn away from covetousness toward contentment, okay? And that's what Asaph, the author of this psalm, uh, went through. So three steps in turning away from covetousness toward contentment. What was, what was the first step? We only covered one of the three steps last Sunday, so what is what is the first step that you need to take to turn away from content, uh, uh, covetousness toward contentment? What was that first one? It's something that you should stop doing. Yes, Grace. Yeah, you need to reject the lies, all of the lies or all the temptations that lead to covetousness or nurture or foster, I think is the word that I use um, Reject those temptations that, that are going to um, lead you to coveting. And what was that first temptation that we all face today that Asaph faced um, thousands of years ago also? What is that first temptation that you guys face every day that you're going to have to say no to because you know if you say yes to it, you will be coveting? What is it? You see it on TV. You see it on your phones. You see it on social media. You see it when you drive away today. 
You see, you see it everywhere. Yes. The, the life of the wicked is easy. Right? That it's, that, it's the, that it's the life to have. Right? If I can just have that kind of life, then I'll be content. And Asaph saying, no, that's, that's a lie. You need to say no to that. That's a temptation that you're going to face every day, and you need to reject it. Look at, uh, we'll just read it real quick. We covered this last Sunday. I'll just read it for those of you who weren't here. Starting in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, Asaph said. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Okay, not physically. He wasn't hiking the Grand Canyon. I, I told you that, that, that that's a spiritual defection, and spiritual defection simply means to, to uh, leave God and to leave your faith behind, to walk away from all those things. So Asaph said, I almost did that. Right? I almost did that. Why, Asaph? Well, verse 3. For because I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. That's a compliment back then. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Not physically, that just means whatever they want, whatever they see, they get. And they want more of that stuff. And they keep getting them. And the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression, and they speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. And, and uh, Asaph is looking at that, and what was pretty much his conclusion? That the life of the wicked is what? Easy. And he's watching that, and he's wanting that. And that's something that God has not given him, but he's coveting it. So that's the first temptation that, that you need to reject. The wicked life is easy. What's the second one? You guys remember? Yeah, Isaiah. The what? The Lord never knows. He won't find out. Won't find out what? Look at, look at verse 10. Therefore his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. Remember, I, I explained that to you last Sunday that that this is talking about not the, people, not the people of the wicked, right, like their friends, their buddies, but the people of who? Of who? Yeah, those who belong to God, those who, who um, are claiming to be followers of God. So His people, God's people, are even going to the place where the wicked are. And what are they doing? And waters of abundance are drunk by them. They're just joining them. You know, they, they were probably coveting the life of the wicked like Asaph was. Asaph uh, was, you know, saying, oh no, don't go there. And, and then he's seeing his friends who were supposed to be followers of God. They're going there and they're joining the wicked in their sin, enjoying the wealth and the, the popularity of the wicked. And look at what they say, those people, verse 11. They say, Asaph, how does God know? You know, Asaph is probably like, Hey guys, you're not supposed to do that. You know, we are God's people. You know, we're believers. We don't join the wicked. And they say to Asaph, Come on, Asaph, how does God know? Will he really know when we dabble a little bit, when we flirt a little bit, when we enjoy a little bit of the things that the wicked people enjoy here and there? Come on, it's not like we're living their life. 
We're just enjoying some of that. So they say to Asaph, how does God know Asaph? And is there knowledge with the Most High? And Asaph says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. Again, life is easy. They have increase in wealth. So that's the second temptation that you are to reject. The temptation or the lie that, yeah, God doesn't know what you do. You might be jealous of this, you might, covet, you might covet this, you might envy this, you might do this sin, you can hide it from your parents, you can go to church and no one knows about it. There is that lie in your heart that says, yeah, the Lord doesn't know that. How does God know that? And Asaph saying, he, he does know, especially when you join the wicked. Now, what's the third temptation that will cause you to covet, that you need to reject when, when it comes? What's that third one? And it's in verse 13 and verse 14. And this one doesn't come from your phones, doesn't come from social media, doesn't come from the news, doesn't come from your friends. This temptation comes from your own heart. So you can be like, you know, you can be like in a cave, you know, away from wicked people and away from those who profess the Lord who are joining the wicked people, but this temptation is still going to follow you because it's in your heart. What is it? What's this lie that's going to tempt you to believe and it's going to lead to coveting? Yes, Ryan. Yeah, that having a pure life, okay? Wanting to be like Jesus Christ, okay? Wanting to be holy, wanting to be you know, wanting to be uh, pleasing to the Lord, we can even simplify it and say, being a Christian is not worth it. And that's a lie. And that temptation comes from your heart. Okay, look at, look at verse, um, verse 13. Asaph says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. That's what he's saying. It's like, I, I do so much work for the Lord, right? I try to say no to temptations. I try to repent from my sin. I try to do the good works. I try to be kind. I try to be pleasing to the Lord. But look at the wicked. They're getting everything. Look at my life. I get nothing. So conclusion, Asaph's saying, yeah, this is not worth it. Pursuing the Lord like this, this intensity is not worth it. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. And then look at verse 14, he, 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 um, he describes his life in light of his description of the life of the wicked, right? The life of the wicked, everything is like perfect for him. His life, verse 14, the complete opposite. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. It's like, ah, oh, you know, poor me, like Eeyore. You know, look at my life, you know. I'm just... I'm just suffering here. Look at the wicked. They're just living it up. You know, they're just chilling. I'm not. And he's saying, therefore, my life, you know, this whole Christian life thing is just not worth it. And that's the third lie, the third temptation that Asaph's saying, you guys should reject. You need to reject that. So this morning, we're going to cover the second step. Okay, again, we're just taking, taking steps, okay? Three steps to go away from coveting toward contentment. Okay, the first one was, okay, you need to put those things off. Stop believing those things. You know, reject those lies and temptations. Number two, 
We're going to tur- turn the corner, and, per- and um, this is how I word it, pursue truths that encourage repentance. Okay, so it's the complete opposite of the first one. Okay, the first one was to reject temptations that foster covetousness. The second one is pursue truths that encourage repentance. Okay, now if I, if I ask you, do you guys repent? Who here repents from their sin? Good. Okay. What is repentance? From all of those who raise their hand, what, what does that mean when you repent from your sin? Yes. A little, little bit louder. Yeah, t- to ask God for his forgiveness and mercy. Good. That's a big part of repentance. What else? Yes. To turn away from your sin. To turn away from your sin. That's the literal picture of that word to repent. It's to turn away. Uh, imagine you're hiking on a, on a trail and you spot a rattlesnake on your, on, your, you know, on your path. What do you do? You turn away. Uh, hopefully you don't jump over it. <laughs> no, you, you turn away, right? You're hiking, you spot it, it's right on your, on your path. What do you do? You turn away. That's repentance. You turn away. Right? You're, you're living your Christian life, you see a temptation, or you see a lie, or you see a sin. What do you do? You turn away. That's repentance. Okay? It's to turn back, to go the other way. So that's what it looks like. So how do we do that? Okay? There are three truths that will encourage that in, in the context of coveting. Okay? Three truths that will encourage you to turn away from coveting. Okay? So here's the first one. Here's the first truth. And I'm, I just tried to simplify these things so that you don't have to write too much. Um, the first fill in blank is this. The covetous, okay, the person who is coveting, you know, st- strong desire for things that God has not given him or her that he loses contentment in God. That person, the covetous, is a bad example. Okay, bad example to other people. Bad example to the church. Bad example to God's people. Bad example to other Christians. And, and uh, we see that here in verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 15. So this is Asaph now talking to God. Okay? He's done exp- uh, describing the life of the wicked. He's now going to God. Again, he's starting to turn. He said to God, If I had said, quote, I will speak thus, unquote. And I'll explain this, make it more simple for you. Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's talking to God, your children, God. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. So if that's the first time you've heard that, it might be a little clunky and, and hard to understand, but let me explain that to you. The, look at verse 15, okay? The, the, the word thus in the first line of verse 15, you guys see that? I don't know if your translation says thus, but... Pretty much where it says, if I had said, I will speak thus, or this, or that, right? That word is referring to everything that Asaph had said so far from verse, verses 1 all the way to verse 14. So pretty much his description of the wicked. You know, uh, that the wicked life is easy. All those temptations that he struggled with, right, in verses 1 through 14, that the wicked life is easy, that if he joined them, God will never know, and that his pure, his pure life is not worth it. Right? All those things is the thus. Now, 
Look at the second line of verse 15, okay? And the generation of your children. That one is referring to God's people. Again, he's talking to God. He's praying to God, okay? So here's what's happening here, okay? Verse 15 and 16. Asaph is talking to God and saying, God, if I told your people the temptations that I was facing and believing that I, that, that I believed them so much that I, that I almost left you, right? My, my feet almost slipped um, and that I almost walked away from my faith. Those temptations, remember them, God, that the wicked life is easy and I wanted that life and that, that if I join them in their sin, you will never know and that, you know, me having to pursue purity and having a, a clean heart is all, is all, you know, not worth it, useless. If I had told your people that, remember Asaph was a what in their church? He was a what? A deacon? What, what was he? he worked, did he work in the, in the office as a receptionist? Now, what was Asaph? Yes, in the back. Yes, you. <laughs> a singer. Not any, not any uh, you know, any kind of singer. What kind of singer? Not a backup singer. Yes, Isaiah. A worship singer, which is also a what? Yes. A leader, yeah, a worship leader. Asaph was a worship leader for the whole Israelites, for God's people. You know, this is like Mr. James times 30. Not age, but like magnitude and responsibility and leadership and accountability. So that position. So Asaph saying, man, if, if I had told your people what I was believing, that I wanted the life of the wicked, that I'd rather have that than this life that you've given me as a worship leader, and that, and that I actually wanted to commit the sins that they were committing, and that, and that you would never find out about it, and that this whole life that you've given me, you know, being a leader, being an example, you know, having a pure life, having a good influence to your people is just not worth it. Man, if I told them that, I would, I would have betrayed them, he said. What that means is that I, I would have put them on the same spot where I was that I almost slipped. You know, it would be it, it it would be me causing it would be me as a leader, and they look up to me, causing them to doubt you and question your character. And he's saying that is a horrible example as a leader. I'm supposed to be a good example. I'm supposed to have good influence. I'm supposed to point them to you. Every time I lead them, I'm supposed to point them to you. I'm supposed to encourage them with your word, with your truth. And I'm supposed to model that, that example in my life. And he's saying, man, how wicked, how wicked was that in my heart? That if I had told them that, I would have betrayed your people. That's why verse 16 says what it says, right? Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this. Okay, what's the this? Well, I think that this is verse 15. You know, that, that if I had told that to your people, then I, I, I would have, you know, caused a lot of people to, to struggle. So when I pondered that possibility, okay, or that, that kind of what if uh, scenario, when I pondered to understand that, it was troublesome in my sight. He said, man, my example to other people, my influence to other people is so important, he said. That's, that troubled my mind. That troubled my heart to think that I can 
that I can cause people to doubt and question God because of how I was acting. That was troublesome to Asaph. So what's the lesson here, students? The first, the first truth that should encourage you to turn away from covetousness is that God doesn't expect you to never sin, okay? That's not, that's not what Asaph is telling you. Actually, God expects you to sin. You know, God expects for me to sin. But you need to keep in mind that your sin has impact or effects on other people around you. I think that's the lesson here, that your sin can affect others. And, and listen to me, uh, and the longer you stay in that sin, and we can even, we can even go out of the sin of covetousness here, uh, whatever sin that you can think of, uh, whatever sin that you're committing now, okay, or been committing over time lately, the longer you stay in that sin, whatever that may be, it doesn't have to be coveting, okay, the longer you stay in that sin and the more public that sin goes, okay, now your parents know about it, right, now your siblings know about it, now your friends know about it, now your pastor knows about it, now your friends at school know about it, right? The, the longer you stay in it and the more public it goes, the more it's going to make you a, what kind of example to those people? A bad example. Because you've been telling them, I hope, that, hey, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my church. I try to do my best to be in the Word because I love learning from the Lord. I love God's people. I love my church. Yet, in your private life, you have this sin that's been going on for a long time. And then now it's starting to leak out and now people know about it. Do, do you think they will believe you next time you say, Hey, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my church. I love studying God's word. You think they'll believe you? No. No. And to Asaph, as a worship leader, he said, Man, I can't believe that. That, that would have been troublesome, he said. I can't even imagine the effect that that would be to your people. So that's the great lesson here. Number two, okay, the second truth that should encourage you to turn around, okay, turn away from coveting. Number two, the wicked, okay, the wicked hated by God. So first, the covetous, bad example. Second, the wicked, hated by God. And this brings us to, to verse 17. Now, verse 17 is, uh, is the, tur the turning point of, of Asaph. Um, you know, that, that, this is really when, you know, when he makes the U-turn. This is like the point of the U-turn, okay? And, um, and if you notice, in verses 1 through 16, everything that we've covered so far, uh, 1 through 16, Asaph talked about, him envying the wicked, right? All those verses have been talking about Asaph envying the wicked. Now, you'll notice from 18 all the way to the end of the psalm, verse 28, Asaph is going to start talking about God hating the wicked. So, so Asaph is now turning around here in his mind of the things that he's believing and it's right here in verse 17, because you, you can ask, okay, what happened, Asaph? You know, you wrote this psalm or this song. The first half is all about you envying the wicked. The second half is all about God hating the wicked. What, what happened? What, what, what changed your evaluation of the wicked? 
from people deserving en- uh, of, of your envy to people deserving of God's hatred? Well, the answer is in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Whose end? Yes. The wicked. The wicked. Listen, students, the life of the wicked may start with riches and uh, popularity and power and wealth and fame. It might start like that, their life. But Asaph learned something very important here, that their life is not going to stay that way. It may start that way. It may, it may be like that for a very, very, very long time. But Asaph is learning a, an important truth here that their life is not going to end like that. All of them, the wicked who do not repent from their sin, who do not believe the gospel, who do not turn their life around and and entrust their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, those wicked people, their life might start like that and be like that, but it will not end like that. And and Asaph learned that lesson when he what? When did he learn that lesson? When he Googled it? Hey, what is the life of the wicked after death? <laughs> how, did, how did he learn it? What was the turning point? Where's the U-turn in the psalm when Asaph says, Ah, that's the great lesson that I'm learning. Yes, in the back. Yeah, when he went into the sanctuary of God. You guys see that? The first line of verse 17, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. You can say, I perceived their end when I came into the sanctuary of God. The end of the wicked. You can say, you know, again, to simplify this, you can say he went to church. Right? Asaph went to church and he learned that important truth. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor Roy, he was a worship leader, so I'm sure he was at church, you know, two, three times a week. Well, yeah. I think so. I think that's a, that's a good uh, assumption here. He, he, he always went to church. He was their worship leader. He was probably there more than God's people. But, but I think what's happening here is kind of like what you and I go through today. When, when, when you're struggling with sin, it doesn't have to be covetousness, right? Something up there? Oh, moth. It's okay. Let, let the moth live. <laughs> I have one in my office, in our house. But we have a praying mantis, so the mantis eats it. Yes. So, think about it this way. Okay, you and I go to church every Sunday, correct? Not perfectly, but we do, right? We, we go to church on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but when we are struggling with sin, we, we can just come to church and it becomes a what? A routine, right? Because our hearts are not right with the Lord, right? You just go to church, it's just another Sunday, you come home, you're like, what was it again about Proverbs? What was it again about Psalm 73? And you kind of just ignore them because, because you know that, that they're convicting you because you're, you're struggling with some sin that's been going on for a long time, right? So you may go to church physically, but, but emotionally, spiritually, you're just not there because of this sin that, that you've, been, you've been in for many, many uh, days or weeks. Oh, there it is. There, Okay. <laughs> No, no more distraction. Sorry, I almost, I, I, I'm like, no, don't aim. Don't aim for the front row. Go, go sideways. Um, that's what God will do with the wicked, as you'll see in a little bit. 
<laughs> so I think that's what's going on with Asaph here. You know, yes, he is a worship leader, but, but he's been struggling with this, this envy, envy of the wicked that he's been going to church with, with, with the wrong heart. And then, and then I don't know if it was one Sunday. I don't know if it was a rehearsal. I don't know. I don't know. It, does, it doesn't tell us. But when he came to the sanctuary of God, when he came to church, that one time that he probably had a softer heart, he was probably already thinking about these truths, about the wicked also. He's probably more repentant than ever, right? So his, he's more humble, right? What happened? He heard God's word and he was convicted. And then what did he learn? He learned the end of the wicked. So verse 17 is probably the most important verse in the whole psalm because it's the, where the U-turn happens for, for, for Asaph from coveting to contentment. Look at what, what he learned, okay? The end of the wicked. Look at what's going, look at what God is going to do to the wicked. Verse 18, surely you, okay, that's God, capital Y, surely you, God, set them, that's the wicked, in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction, how they are destroyed in a moment as fast as a little flick, right? Done, right, over. How they are destroyed in the moment, he said. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Now, the wicked think that they're always secure, right? The wicked people think they're, 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 uh, they're secure. They will never suffer and, and will live happily, happily ever after, kind of like a Disney movie. You know, that's what the wicked thinks. You know, I will just live happily ever after. They even try to ignore death, you know. Don't think about death. You know, everything will be just fine because of my wealth and power and riches. But here, Asaph's saying that God has placed them in the most dangerous place. They think they're so secure. They think they'll live forever. They think they'll be happy forever. Here, God's saying that, no, you guys are in a very dangerous place, and I will punish you if you do not repent and believe. So that's what God is going to do to the wicked. Now, look at what God thinks about the wicked. Okay, that's what he'll do, verse, verse 18 and verse 19. Look, look, at how, uh, look at what he thinks about them, verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form, the wicked. So Asaph's talking about dream, uh, dreams here. My, my wife gets bad dreams when she's pregnant. Okay, I don't know if she's had one with this pregnancy, but I remember when she was pregnant with Ruthie or Toby, she had a really, really bad dream. And... And the dream was this. She was, I think, canoeing or something. She was in the river or the swamp, you know, Florida swamp. And she had, for some reason, she had the kids or a baby in her arm, you know, while she was paddling with the baby. And all these alligators start coming out of the water and start jumping out trying to grab this baby. She starts, starts paddling and all these gators are coming out. You know, I don't know if you guys seen alligators and I don't know if you've been in a swamp, but um, that's what Flor- Floridians do. We canoe in the swamp, but, and we do see alligators, but you don't bring a little baby. Um, and, and when that starts happening, you know, that's horrible. That's terrible. And then Leslie wakes up, right? I don't know if the baby was eaten, but I, I don't remember. <laughs> was the baby safe? We don't know, right? Um, but it was, just, it was just the w- worst dream for her. And she wakes up, and guess what? Her first reaction to that dream was what? Enjoyment or hatred? Hatred. (laughs) Hatred, right? Well, that's the picture here. 
Okay, look at verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes. So Asaph's saying, yeah, the wicked people, that's like a dream to God, a really bad dream, that as soon as God awakes, his first reaction is, I hate that dream. I hate the wicked. That's what's happening here. Guys, people will tell you that in the end, what? Love, what? Wins, right? In the end, love wins. God will just excuse every sin, right? No one really goes to hell. Everybody actually goes to heaven because God's love is just that big. People will tell that to you, right? Books will tell that to you, you know. Christian universities will tell that to you. And here, I think it's pretty clear that yes, God is loving, but God is also going to punish wicked people because he hates them. Okay, like, a, like you would hate a bad dream. As soon as you wake up, you hate it. That's the lesson here, students. Since the wicked are hated by God, okay, listen to this lesson. Since, not if, we know that they are, right? Since the wicked are hated by God, then why do you covet their life? Why would you covet their life? Why would you want that kind of life? If you know what God thinks about them and if you know what God is going to do to them in the end, why would you want that kind of life, students? That's the lesson. So the first truth that will encourage you to repent, to turn away, the covetous, bad example. The wicked, hated by God. Number three, last one. The believer, okay, the believer is loved by God. The believer is loved by God. I think if you are trying to just pick one of these three that, that would really encourage you to turn away from whatever sin that you're, that you're committing right now, I hope it's this one, right? If you are a Christian, the believer loved by God. Look at verse 21. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. What Asaph is doing here is he's looking, so he's praying to God, right? That is the context here. Remember, we're in the U-turn. Now he's probably turning back. So Asaph is praying to God, talking to God, and what he's doing here is he's, he's telling God uh, how he's describing himself when he was envying the wicked. Okay? So he's looking back here um, when he was envying the wicked, and he describes himself as what? What jumped out of you in those two verses? He's describing himself as what? Yeah. What's that? Being senseless. What else? Yeah. What's that? Say it again. Embittered. Yes, embittered. What else? Senseless, embittered. Yeah. Like a beast. I know some translations translate that last line of verse 22 uh, as an animal or as a beast. The, the word is behemoth, you know, like a, uh, like a dumb ox, like a, like a foolish, you know, cow. I don't know. You think of, I don't know, what the, the dumbest and most foolish animal is today. You guys probably know. 
Uh, but think of that. And he's saying, yeah, when I was envying the wicked, when I was temp- tempted to join them in believing that you will never know God, when I, was, when I was starting to believe that living a pure life is not worth it, yeah, I was like that animal. You know, the most foolish, the most dumb animal before you. And, that, and, and I was embittered, I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant. Now this, you know, when I was studying this, you know, Asaph, looking back, I don't know how long ago when he was coveting and doing all that stuff to when he entered the sanctuary and then he perceived the end of the wicked that he starts turning around. I don't know how long was that, but, but I, it reminded me of my own life and it made me think of my teenage years. So this, this would be, um, what, uh, I'm 35, let's say 15, what's that, 20 years? So 20 years ago, right? It made me think of my teenage years in high school, so probably your age. And at that time, you know, at that time, I was like, man, life is just amazing. You know, I'm 15, right? Uh, two years ago, I was in the Philippines. Now in the, I'm in the United States of America, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I, I remember telling that to myself, man, life is great. I can cheat in school, and people don't know about it. I can do extracurricular activities like sports and other stuff, you know, and, and uh, academics so that I can be home less because I don't like being with my parents. And I can pretend to be someone I'm not so girls like me. I mean, that's, that's, that's my high school life, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's my teenage life. And, I would, and, and back then, if you were to ask me, I would be like, man, isn't that awesome? That's awesome, Right? That is the life to have. But now, 20 years later, as a Christian, every time I look back, I'm thinking the complete, total, total opposite. You know, this psalm reminded me of that. I was thinking, man, life was not good for me. Life is good for me now. But when I was in high school, thinking like that, when I was a teenager, you know, believing those lies, thinking that that life was a good life, man, that was not a good life. All I did was love myself and worship myself pretty much. You know, that was my teenage life. Love myself, worship myself. That's why I did those things. And I, and I said, man, you can't get any dumber and more foolish than that. To do those things in your teenage life and say, oh, this is just, this is just amazing. And it's Asaph and me are saying, yeah, you can't get any dumber than that. Like a dumb ox, like a beast before you. That's how I was acting, Asaph said. And in those moments, I thought it was okay. But now looking back, as I'm turning around, now looking back, yeah, that was the dumbest time of my life. Unfortunately for me, high school was not the dumbest time of my life. College was because I was not saved and I, it just got worse. Now I look back, it's a little bit closer than high school. Now I look back and I think the same way like Asaph's saying here, man, like a dumb ox, like a, like a wild beast before God. But in those times, I don't know if you feel, I don't know if you can connect with this statement right now, but in those times when I was young, I did say those things that, man, life is great for me. I can just do all these things and live like the wicked. And God doesn't know. 
And all that pure stuff that my parents are teaching me, that my pastor is teaching me, that I always hear at church, yeah, that's not worth it. This is worth it right here. You might be saying that right now, but you will look back, hopefully not, you know, as long as me, hopefully tomorrow, <laughs> you will look back and say, yeah, that, that's, that's dumb, that's foolish. So we can be so sinful and so foolish toward God, but look at how he is toward us. Here's where I'm getting that point here of the believer loved by God. So we can, we can be like that, okay, like a dumb animal okay, in our sin, in our foolishness toward God. But look at how God is toward us. Verse 23, nevertheless, Asaph says, I am continually with you. So, so yeah, I, I look back, that's how I was. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, Asaph says. Even though we can be so sinful and so foolish, God still loves us and he never what? Leaves us. Students, isn't that the most encouraging thing to hear? When you were at your dumbest, and you might not think that that was dumb when you were in it, but looking back, it was dumb and foolish and very sinful. God still loves you and he does not leave you even you were even when you were acting like that now look at what it's like to be loved by god and to be with god second line of verse 23 you have taken hold of my right hand okay so back to the to the um, illustration and the the analogy here okay of asaph he said you have taken hold of my right hand, okay? So, God, you have taken hold of my right hand. Where do you think this happened in the past verses? That God was holding Asaph's hand that prevented him from doing something or something bad really happening to him. Don't, don't look outside of Psalm 73. Just look at verse 1 all the way to, uh, to verse 22. Where did this happen? You have taken hold of my right hand. Yeah. A little bit louder. When he went to the sanctuary of God, yes. Where else? Think of like, yeah. Verse 2, right? Look at verse 2, right? But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Again, almost. Right? He almost left God. He almost walked away from his faith because he was envious of the, of the wicked. But what prevented him from going, to, from going from almost to, to all the way in? It was God holding him. You guys see that? Verse 23, you have taken hold of my right hand. The reason why Asaph did not slip and fall was not because he was strong, it was because God was holding on to him. Look at verse 24. With your counsel, okay, think of instruction, teaching, kind of like what we're doing right now. With your counsel, you will guide me. Okay, you will direct me, guide me. Now, where did this happen in the past verses? With God's counsel or God's word or God's teaching, Asaph was redirected or guided. Where did this happen? Any guess? 
It's not as far as verse 2. It's closer. Maybe like five, six verses. Yes, Rachel. Verse 17, yes, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Because, you know, going to church, does you know, like physically stepping into the worship center, wow, yeah, I'm learning so much. Look at those wood. Oh, man, look at the carpet. This is awesome. I'm in the sanctuary of God. Yes, I'm really learning about contentment and covetous, covetousness. No, that doesn't happen. It's what happens inside of the church, right, which is primarily instruction, counsel. So verse 24 says that with your counsel, you will guide me. And that happened in, in, back in verse 17. Look at the second li- line of verse 24. And afterward, receive me to glory. What do you think Asaph is talking about here? Yeah, Elias. Exactly. Yeah, when you receive me to glory, this is, and he says afterward, after all these things, after, after this life is over, God, you are going to receive me to glory. So again, he's, he's, he's describing what it looks like to belong to God, to be continually with him, and to be loved by God. When I am foolish and dumb and sinning, you're holding on to me. When I, ne- when I need to be redirected, you know, when I need to repent to make a U-turn in my life, you, you're there to guide me. And you do all that in my life until, all the way, until, I, until you take me home to heaven. You are always with me, and even after then, you're always with me. That's what Asaph's saying here. So, again, like I said earlier, to the, the lesson here is to be you know, to be loved by God and to be with God is the greatest thing that you students can ever have. Okay, not the stuff that you see on your social media, not the life of the wicked, not enjoying sin and getting away from it, not committing things in your mind and, and hiding it from people. Uh, It's not money, it's not toys, it's not riches, it's not college degrees, it's not career. Those things are not the greatest thing that God wants you to have. The greatest thing that you can ever have is to be loved by God and to be with Him starting today all the way till you die and all the way after for the rest of eternity. That's the greatest thing. That's the greatest thing. So what does that have to do with repentance? Well, think about it this way, right? I hope you're not saying, well, you know, Asaph sinned, so, and God was always with him. So when I sin, it's not really a big deal because God is always with me. So I just keep sinning. No, that's not, that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is this. If God, or sins, not if, since God loves you that much, okay, that when you sin, he loves you. He never leaves you. That when you need instruction, he loves you. He never, he never um, you know, disowns you. And all the way to the end, he loves you and he's always with you. Since that is the case for you, then why would you sin? Why would you want to sin? Right? And if you do sin, because you do sin, we will sin, why would you want to stay there? Why would you want to keep committing that same sin if God loves you that much? Right? If he loves you that much, that he never leaves you, you are continually with him, then that should be one of the greatest truths that encourages you to repent, to turn away. 
Why would I keep doing this to God if he loves me this much? Well, uh, we're going to have to save the, the third step, okay, the last point for next Sunday. Any, uh, any questions before, before we end here? No? Okay. I hope, I hope this was encouraging, especially that last point, okay? I don't want you to go home today thinking that, yeah, God always loves me, so I'll just, I'll just keep sinning. No, that's not the lesson. The lesson is that, is that God loves you. It should encourage you to repent from your sin. It should encourage you. Okay? All right, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning, for our time in Psalm 73. Um, I'm thankful that we're spending more than one Sunday on this psalm. Uh, so good for our hearts, so good for, for our minds and souls to learn about what what Asaph went through and to, to avoid his mistakes and to follow his example also. I pray that uh, those students who are here who are not Christians because they love themselves, they'd rather worship you, uh, worship themselves rather than you, and, and they, uh, they don't see any reason for turning away from their sinful lifestyle. I pray that this psalm, this truth would just convict them and and that it would uh, do the work of, of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts so that they can, they can see how, how foolish that is, kind of like the, the, the wild animal that Asaph is talking about, and that they would turn away from that life and turn to, to the gospel to you. For those who do envy the wicked, those who are not content with the life that you have given them, whatever that may be, school, parents, siblings, uh, circumstances they're, they're in now, I pray that this was encouraging to them, that no matter what's going on around them, that you are always with them, that you always love them and that you never leave them. So I pray that that would be more than enough uh, to encourage them to keep pursuing a pure life. Thank you for all these students, for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.